Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Prop up with our buddies at Thrive Fantasy and ThriveFantasy.com. You can also use the Thrive Fantasy app to make your prop bet predictions. Just choose 10 out of 20 prop bets on the nightly card. Get the hard ones right. Get the easy one right. You can mix and match. The tougher the prop bet, the lower the probability, the more points you get when it hits. Get the most points. Win money, and for a limited time, sign up using promo code ETHOS and get a deposit match bonus up to $250. You should just do the whole $250, get the $250 deposit match bonus, play with that, hopefully you win some money, then you can win a little bit more, and a little bit more, and you're filthy stinking rich at the end of this experiment. ThriveFantasy.com. Follow our DFS team to get Thrive Fantasy suggestions every single day. And again, promo code is ethos good morning everybody welcome to fantasy nba today we're churning this one out early on a wednesday uh because of more (laughs) family things going on over here illnesses and bodies moving around and honestly we would do a podcast whenever there's like 45 minutes of coverage on children that's that's where i'm at this week it's been not simple what's the opposite of simple complicated yeah that's the one But we get it done, we get the shows out, we get you guys some information, and then we obviously turn it over to social media, where I hope you guys will follow me. I'm at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, and I will talk to you guys additionally over there. Huge Wednesday in the rear view, we have an 11-game card to recap, so we'll just dive right on freaking in. We actually had an early game yesterday in Philly, they were trying to dodge World Series traffic, Uh, so the Phillies, say the Phillies, the Sixers... Lost the Wiz at home. They're the Wiz, and nobody beats me. The Wizards uh, were better, and largely because Kristaps Porzingis has just been unreal the last two ball games. And thanks to those two huge ones, he's now up to number 16 per game on the year. He's basically like right around where we expected him to be. Those two games pushed him right near his career marks. His free throw number's been Excellent. That came up. Remember, he was like at 76. We thought, all right, well, that's the one thing that's not really where it needs to be. Field goal percent is a little higher than we'd expect. Maybe blocks are a tiny bit lower than we'd expect, but all this stuff is going to level off. And this is just, you know, he's a second round, early mid second round per game guy. This is why we took that shot on him in the 40s. And we just, like every game, hold your breath that he comes out of it in one piece. So far, so good. So far, very good. He's played in all eight of their games to this point. And I think by totals, because of that fact, he's actually even higher. Am I getting that right? Let's let's triple check. Yeah, just a little bit. He's number 13 by totals. Some of that is because Harden's had nine games. Larry Markkinen's had nine games. But he's basically on the turn by totals right now. No other news on the Washington side. Uh, Monte Morris just sort of wasn't as good in this ballgame. Wizards opted to go smaller, extra Will Barton, extra Denny Avdia, not smaller, bigger, excuse me, Rui Hachimura, 33 minutes, 10 and 10 with four assists. He profiles much more as a points league kind of guy because doesn't get defensive stats, doesn't shoot the three-pointer. Percentages are fine, but like neutral, probably. 
In any event, we got to look at what Philly looks like with no Embiid and no DeAnthony Melton. Matisse Thybul got the start, ended up hurt partway through the ballgame, but it sort of doesn't matter. Daniel House and George Niang ended up picking up a lot of those minutes, and, you know, that's another one of them tree falls in the forest type of things. The actual conclusion on this game, sort of sum it up on Philly, is that the main three guys you figured would do more did more. Maxi got 20 shots, Harden got 18 shots, and 10 assists up there. So big usage, big usage for Harden. And then uh, laser beam spot-up shooter Tobias Harris edition uh, ended up with 12 shots, which I, you know, I almost I thought it might be a little bit higher on that one, but whatever. Boston lost to Cleveland in overtime. Al Horford double-doubled. That's a good sign. Still only two defensive stats in 40 minutes, but he's a starting center playing 40 minutes. And so if you're panicking on Al Horford, I would just say, look... How many starting centers with a rich, rich fantasy history, rich fantasy history, are playing over 30 minutes a night and you're considering dropping them? Just don't. I haven't heard anybody ask if they should drop Julius Randle, and he's ranked almost the exact same as Horford because it's a loudness thing. And Horford has been extremely quiet because his fantasy game is not a loud one. So if he's not getting the defensive stats and the assists, then everything's going to look kind of weird. But it's slowly creeping up, slowly creeping up. I wish there would be like the one big one to sort of wake the whole thing, but whatever. Grant Williams, another good ball game. Uh, He's a guy that Josh Millman gave out on this podcast and Aaron Bruski gave out on this podcast, and he's sitting right around the edge of the top 100 as a very deep, deep league draft pick that's ending up now as a standard league value. He's not my most, he's not my favorite guy out there because there's a distinct lack of excitement in his fantasy game. But he's going to hit threes at a high percentage, which you just sort of can't get out of everybody. And his minutes are high enough this year where he's sort of just out there long enough to get some rebounds and some steals and blocks. And that's what's pushed him up towards that standard league mark. Also, uh, Derek White played 32 minutes, really didn't do much with them. Malcolm Brogdon played 24 and a half minutes and was actually kind of decent in them. But those two guys kind of sort of flipping back and forth. It continues where I find it kind of difficult to roster either one. I, You know, I was... Brogdon's at 137, Derek White is at 17, no, 129, and that's only because his defensive stats are a little bit better, but like right now, neither one of them needs to be started. Welcome back, Darius Garland, 29 and 12 in his return from an eye injury that cost him basically the first two weeks of the season. That was way longer than any of us thought he'd be out. That's going to push Donovan Mitchell down the board a little bit. There's sort of no way to sugarcoat that. Uh, Spido's off to this amazing start, and he's still number 11, but, you know, he's not going to average, he was, what, like 34 points per game before yesterday? He's just not going to average that anymore. Not with Garland back. Did still take 27 shots, so maybe last night isn't the best example of it, but, you know, there's going to be a tapering. There has to be. DeJounte Murray, line of the night. He pushes himself up to number five by totals. On the season so far. Actually, excuse me. Donovan Mitchell is number eight per game. DeJounte is number nine. They're pretty much deadlocked at this point. Uh, huge one. And, you know, this is... Shout out to the Brewski 150. The Brewski 150 had DeJounte Murray as basically like the highest ranked dude compared to his ADP, which was like near 20. And Brew was like, this guy's an early first rounder. Uh, but Trey Young who's certainly more of an 8-cat guy than a 9-cat one, Murray might be the better fantasy player 
Might. He is. He is the better fantasy player. It's not might. I do need to sort of pivot a little on uh, Okongwu, who, like, there's just, there aren't enough minutes. This game is the perfect microcosm, because on the other side, Isaiah Hartenstein is outplaying Mitchell Robinson on pretty much a nightly basis. Defensively, offensively, whatever you name it, Hartenstein has been a better fit. And we kind of knew that that was a possibility for the Knicks. Whereas with the Hawks, as much as everybody wants to sort of cast Clint Capella off into the ocean, and his fantasy lines have been extraordinarily lackluster to this point. Like, no one should have been drafting him because you knew his minutes were trending down with Okongwu coming for at least some of them. Defensively, Capella's a lot better. Like, substantially better. And so he plays. He's a plus 15. Okongwu was a minus 2 in a game the Hawks won by 13. I guess you guys can kind of figure that out because those dudes pretty much just split center minutes. But that's why it's not shifting. I know Kong was probably the better pick-and-roll guy with Trey Young or Murray, but he's not the rim protector, and the Hawks need to stop somebody because offensively they're typically fine. So that's why you're seeing that breakdown. And then on the other side, Mitch Robinson actually had a pretty good ball game yesterday, but he did it in only 18 minutes because Hartenstein came in and was just as good in 25 Hardenstein is, like, he's an easy one, uh, really since day one, and he's number 81 in nine-cat right now. He's the one backup center that is already posting, I mean, seventh-round value right now. And he does it with across-the-board stuff, eight points, eight boards, an assist, a steal, one-and-a-half blocks, 53% from the field, 75, low-volume free-throw line. He's just been wonderful. Manuel quickly had 16 assists in yesterday's ballgame. I don't really know where the hell that came from. He'll get picked up and then he'll get dropped pretty soon because, you know, the Knicks have kind of too many options. He'll play big one game. He'll disappear the next. Knicks are three and four, by the, by the way. They still haven't won on the road. This was their first home loss of the year. Whatever that's worth. Miami, without Jimmy Butler, able to squeeze by Sacramento and kind of a controversial game because it, did look like Tyler Hero may have shuffled his feet on a game winner, but whatever, can't change the outcome now. Kyle Lowry is the big winner with no Jimmy Butler. If we were kind of wondering, and I was, would that would the Butler usage trickle down to the fringy guys like a Gabe Vincent? Because he did play big minutes, and Caleb Martin had 30 minutes, and Max Drew had 33 minutes, but those guys didn't really see the big usage bump. Vincent saw a small one, so a little bit to Gabe Vincent, but Caleb Martin, no. Struess actually went down because he joined the starting unit where he had to be a little bit more selective with his uh, three-point gunning. And so what actually happened was that you just got sort of more Bam Adebayo, more Kyle Lowry, more Tyler Hero without Jimmy Butler, and we'll see if he's back for the next one. Uh, We know Jimmy misses a game here and there, sometimes two here and there. It's sort of part of the equation when you went into the year. And now we know. You know, if he's out, there isn't an obvious pickup. But hey, how about that Kyle Lowry, huh? I only phrase it that way because I had drop asks when he was shooting 28%. I said, well, just wait until it gets to 40, where it always is. And guess what? It's at 40 now, and he's number 65. Hi, Kyle. Oh, what's that? You were drafted at like 140 and you're number 65? Yep, that's why the old man squad works. People aren't interested in you. And he's at 14.6 assists and one and a half steals. 
the stellar late point guard kind of line. Sacramento side, no De'Aaron Fox. We were looking for a data point on this one as well. And the Davion Mitchell data point wasn't very good. Nine points, four assists, and a three-pointer. His usage was low. The hope was that he'd get in there and be a little bit of like the non-Demonis Sabonis point guard because you knew they were going to run their offense through uh, Domas. And then Kevin Herter, I thought, would have more assists. He ended up being more of a shooter in yesterday's game, but he continues to be very good. The big winner was Malik Monk. 19 points, 7 assists, only 22 minutes. Do I pick him up? No, I don't, because I have no idea if he's going to do it again in the next one. And I am I frankly don't think he will. If he does, then you can almost guarantee he won't do it in the one after that. We saw what Monk did yet last year with the Lakers. He had these big explosion games. He had a big explosion week and then turned right back into a pumpkin for a little bit. He's a very good scorer, but he is a bit streaky. And he's not at all good on defense. Let's just, like, beyond lost at that end of the floor. Uh, Harrison Barnes spent a little time in the locker room, came back, finished out the ballgame, 12 points, 7 boards. Without De'Aaron Fox, you really thought he would do a little bit more, and he didn't. He remains fringy at best. The lesser of the Barneses. I don't think he needs to be on rosters. I, I picked him up in a couple of spots after those two slightly better games, but if this is kind of where he levels, it's not enough. Marcus Morris, 21-10. and 10. I never thought that I would say this, but go ahead and pick him up. He's been a, someone that, that is added in very few leagues, despite what's been a pretty darn good start to the year for Marcus. And it's for the same reason. Like, we've all seen him not do this since he came to the Clippers. The last time Marcus Morris was a fantasy value, he was in New York. But he's at 15-6 and six with two threes and a steal. The field goal percent is going to come down, but honestly, he's so high right now at number 54 that even when the field goal percent drops into the 40s, he's still a 9-cat guy, provided this role continues, and the Kawhi Leonard stuff is a big reason why. When Kawhi gets in there, if he gets in there and plays 30 minutes a game and takes 15 to 20 shots per night, that's coming from the Marcus Morris bucket. It ain't coming from the Paul George bucket. It ain't coming from the, you know, Reggie Jackson, John Wall bucket, those guys taking 10 whatever shots per ball game. It's coming from the guy who's taking an unseasonably high number of field goal attempts and doing well with them, mind you, but that's the outlier number. Marcus Morris, 14, 15 shots a game, some of these contests. But add him now, because we still have no idea when Kawhi is playing. And he's the actual winner. It's not Norman Powell. Meanwhile, I, I don't know that I can ever remember someone being as wildly back and forth as Ivica Zubats, because he has two terrible games and then one gigantic one. And uh, so he's in the 70s right now. But, like... Can you deal with this? I'm really struggling to deal with this. I still think that every time he has that big one, you should try to sell for someone in the 70s and you know catch it at the right time kind of deal. Uh, big blow-up game for Alperen Sengun. That took a while, but he got one going here. Did foul out, but 26-13, good percentages. That's a really big deal. Free throw percent moved back up to 79 for him, so that negative was mostly erased. He still hasn't done much on the defensive side of the ball, and I think that's what everybody's waiting for. But he's up to 17-10 scoring on the year, and because the free throw percent isn't horrible and the field goal percent is actually kind of good so far, he's been able to hang out in the 60s thanks to this big ball game. So hopefully it continues to get better. Uh, they didn't, you know, Houston trying to trot out Usman Garuba as the starting center. They realized that was 
At that point, they were just sort of being mean to Shengun. I am wondering what happens when Bruno Fernando comes back, but we'll deal with that when it gets there. Meanwhile, the other young guys on the Rockets are just having a world trouble. Jalen Green was a little bit better in this ballgame. He was always getting dramatically overdrafted. And oddly, I don't think Jabari Smith really got dramatically overdrafted in the same way. He's been awful so far this year. He's shooting 30%, 30-3-0 on the season. I think, without looking deep into the numbers, I believe he's been the single worst field goal percent by volume dude in the NBA. He's right up there with Trey Young right now, who's also having a just atrocious start to the year shooting-wise. But that's all the reason and more to go try to get him. Because if you just adjust that up to 41, because he's not going to be a high field goal percent dude. He's a power forward that shoots from farther away. Everything else is actually pretty damn good. Two threes per ball game, six boards, 1.3 blocks per game. Like, if those things stick for Jabari, you're talking about a really healthy fantasy stat set. The only thing that's missing right now is... You know, he's like one and a half extra makes per ball game. effectively. Gets him up to a reasonable field goal percent. And then you're talking about an extra two to three points per game, a little more three-pointer, no negative, smaller negative in the field goal percent. He's going to rocket blast up the board as that side starts to figure things out. See if you can get him. I mean, he's going to get dropped in some spots. See if you can get him for somebody that's like, overperforming in the 100 range who probably doesn't belong as high as they are. Here's an interesting one. What do we think about Benedict Matherin? Do we think he's going to get more than 14 shots per game? Yeah, maybe when that team goes into full tank mode. Lonnie Walker. Maybe you could get him for Lonnie Walker. Kuz. Kyle Kuzma at 98. He's on the way down. Mike Conley, who I like a lot. I might I'm inclined to stick with Mike because he's not even really a sell high. Like He's shooting 38% from the field there also. Uh, Nick Claxton when he has a good ball game, Trey Jones. I think Jabari Smith passes almost all of those guys before the season's done. It's just going to take a little bit of time. That's the rookie adjustment. It's why I don't draft rookies. Someone had to spend an eighth-round pick on Jabari Smith to go get him, and now you might be able to go get him for a hot waiver wire ad. Because this is what happens. Rookies struggle. It just, it's the same damn thing every year. We all thought it was going to be different this season because Paolo had a huge first, like, two games of the year. But he's down at 120 also. They can't shoot. Rookies can't shoot. Even Matherin, who's been pretty damn good, is at 108 because he hasn't found a defensive stat all damn season long. He has four steals in eight ball games and nothing else. Maybe that comes around. Maybe not. Otherwise, he's been pretty good. He's, I mean, he's the one so far. Keegan Murray's at 94. Everybody kind of knew he was the one because efficiency wasn't going to be a huge issue. But, like, don't take him earlier. Bucks blew out the Pistons as we work our way towards, I guess this would be around the halfway point of yesterday's card. Isaiah Stewart, he's uh, very much a start, certainly as long as Jalen Duran's out. I don't know if it's going to last afterwards. It might. He's one of those ones where you probably just, like, hang on to it, see what happens. Not surprisingly, Boyan Bogdanovich finally had a slower ball game. That knocked him down to number 37. I mean, we knew he wasn't going to stay in the early 20s all season long. That just made no sense. Mostly it was turnovers that got him in this one. Otherwise, he was, like, just a little bit of a slower ball game. Just a blowout loss kind of line. Giannis, beastly again. He's been really good so far this year. Still can't make a free throw to save his life. A little bit better in that ball game, but, you know, dude's hitting 66% of 12 free throws a night. 
the ultimate punt dude. If you're punting free throws, he's running away with number one. And if you're not, he's not in the first round. Whoop. Brooke Lopez, 11-7 with a steal and a block. Hard to complain about what he's done so far this year. This game just a little bit slower, but he's still number 15. Who cares? <laughs> it's so basic. Oh, Lord. Hey, you want to see a tank game? How about the Spurs? Whoa. You can't go 5-2 and two while trying to lose and not have the plug pulled on you. I mean, this was like a full rug yanking. The Spurs sat everybody. They sat everybody. And the ones that they didn't sit, they didn't even let them play. Like, they're good players. They only let them... This was like a preseason game. Oh, Trey Jones, you're decent? Uh, you know what? Your shoulder hurts. You only get to play 21 minutes. Josh Richardson, you've been able to run our team when everybody else is out? You get 19 and a half minutes. Spurs didn't care. They had no intention of winning this ballgame. And so, unfortunately, because... You know, myself, a lot of us, we fired Josh Richardson up, figuring he would he's the last man standing on this team, but they just didn't let anybody play. Which is super uncool. Like, there should be some kind of disclaimer that's like, oh, by the way, fans, you shouldn't bother coming to this game because we're trying to lose. Fantasy players, you shouldn't use anybody because we're not going to play them. Nobody got more than 24 and a half minutes for the Spurs in this game. And yeah, you could say, oh, some of that's blowout stuff. Nah, there was no intention. Luckily for Toronto, yeah, their guys didn't get many minutes, but they were able to pile up plenty of stats in it. OG Ananobi, another six defensive stat ball game. He's number 19 now. He's averaging four defensive stats a game, kind of like Shea, and obviously that's a number that's going to come down for both of those guys, but this is the OG that everybody wanted last year. When we on the podcast were like, ah, he's probably going a little bit too early, and then most of his season was spent hurt, and so then he became kind of a post-hype guy this season. And I feel bad that I didn't put him on the old man squad because you guys that listened to the podcast through the offseason, he was one of the ones right when the list first came out and he was getting drafted at like 65. I was like, hey, this is an interesting spot. And then I kind of stopped crowing about OG. I got him in a couple of spots. Should have targeted him more. Should have known better. I was only medium, slightly above pleasant on him. You guys remember in August when I was like, OG, this is a guy I like. Ah, I wimped out. Uh, Chris Boucher, huge ball game again. Anytime a Raptors starter is out, Chris Boucher goes big. It's the same damn story every time. Like clockwork, man. And now he's getting his legs back underneath him. I mean, this was a fantastic ball game. 17 and 8, three threes, two steals, a block, two assists, seven out of ten shooting. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant game. And I know they were going against the Spurs team that was a that was actively trying to let the other team score on them. Uh but regardless, if we find out any Raptor is out, Chris Boucher goes in. Roto Games Cap format. Chris Boucher theorem in full effect. I've seen a lot of folks talk about how he's terrible and doesn't belong in. Like, he's number 73. And that's with a couple of games where he was getting ramped back up. These lines he puts up when a Raptor's starter is out are between 50 and 75, pretty reliably in terms of, like, what he usually does with that time on the floor. If you're in a Roto Games Cap format, there's an argument to be made to just put him on your bench and basically squat on him for the 40-some-odd games when, he's, when, they're, when the Raptors are fully healthy and then use him for the 40 games when they're not. Uh, he's a, he's a part-timer. He's the last dude on your bench. And if you can get 40 good Roto Games Cap games out of him, great. I don't know about him in a head-to-head -head because it's going to come down to timing. 
Over the course of the entire year, he's probably going to end up a good totals value, but it won't tell the whole story because it's going to be like, oh, Raptors are healthy for two weeks. Chris Boucher is bad. Raptors not healthy for two weeks. Chris Boucher is amazing. And so the average is going to be like, oh, he was pretty good. But it's about how you deploy that. Reminder, guys, use the coupon code ETHOS20 over at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping on your order. I don't want to spend a ton of time on that today because I'm in a furious rush. So let me make you a deal. If you guys just go to manscaped.com and check out some of the stuff, I'll stop this promo right now. ETHOS20, 20% off, free shipping. Promo done. But you guys got to keep up your end of the bargain. Chicago beat up on Charlotte. Bulls are starting to look a little bit better, guys. Um, I thought they might struggle this year with Levine and this knee maintenance stuff and Lonzo missing probably half the season, maybe more. But defensively, they've actually gotten really good. And the big stories in this ballgame, and there were a few, Gordon Hayward left with shoulder soreness. Hopefully he'll be back in the not-too-distant future. Jalen McDaniels, who was already playing well, huge beneficiary here with Hayward out. 36 minutes, team high for Jalen. 18 shots, team high. Almost led the team in usage, just behind Kelly Oubre, who went chuck crazy in that ballgame and got 17 shots of his own. But if we find out Hayward has to miss any time, Jalen McDaniels, who's already kind of on and off of rosters, he's number 75 right now, but he was like back around number 90 before yesterday's ballgame. Uh, he, he becomes a must-start guy. I think that's your super stream if Hayward misses time, at least right here in the short term. Now, it's possible that in the next game, Charlotte has so much up in the air. Terry Rozier could show up on a given night. Hayward could end up playing in the next ballgame. There's kind of too much to deal with. To, to, like, make the move in advance. But in any event, uh, I still can't seem to bring myself to play Kelly Oubre. He's just too inefficient. And even with yesterday's good ball game, uh, he's still only at right at the edge of the top 100. So you got to catch him on that type of game. But, like, his percentages have been absolutely brutal so far this year. He's technically startable at number 99, but, man, alive. You're risking it. He could go out there and go four for 17 and one for four at the free throw line, and you're just like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? Dennis Smith Jr., just keep rolling him out there as long as Terry Rozier is out. We've gotten two uh, stellar weeks out of Dennis Smith Jr. Um, there's a chance he still holds top 100 value even after Rozier comes back as kind of a backup point guard playing 20-some-odd minutes. It won't last beyond the return of LaMelo Ball. So there's like a stepwise thing. And then on the Chicago side, yeah, I know Javante Green nearly pitched a perfecto here. He missed a free throw but went 7-for-7 seven seven from the field. You're not adding him. He's definitely not shooting 100% on a given night. However, Patrick Williams, you are adding. And I know that this was a particularly bad game for DeMar DeRozan. He looked drunk. Zach Levine kind of looked drunk. Vooch is having just a world of trouble shooting the basketball again. Like, it's gotten worse somehow. Um but he's able to kind of float himself with terrific rebounding to this point. But Vooch is shooting 41% now. Whatever, not the point. He'll be fine. That'll come up to probably mid-40s. Maybe he gets it up to like 47 like he did last year. The point of this game, and I don't know why I haven't gotten to it yet, is Patrick Williams. He's been wonderful now for two to three games, and I would argue like kind of pretty good for another game or two beyond that. He's still at 162 in overall rank, but if you look at just the last three or four games, 
He's rolling near top 80. That's a guy that needs to be on fantasy teams. No, he's not going to do 7 for 9. He's not going to score 16 points a game. But he's shown the ability to get steals and blocks and rebound and hit three-pointers. That's a really important combination of stats. I don't know if I'm throwing him out immediately into my lineups. Boy, this is a low-scoring game for the modern NBA. I don't know if I'm throwing him out immediately into lineups, but I sure as heck am putting him on my bench. Dallas, able to squeeze past Utah. Luka, 33-11. He's been crazy so far this year. He's really a one-man gang, and of course the fear for Luka, and there should be some, is that he's going to run out of gas because he can't do this by himself every ball game. There's got to be something else. Spencer Dinwiddie was better. Hey, we got a second Dallas Maverick inside the top 100. I don't know how long it's going to last, but Spencer's in there. Nobody else is all that close. Christian Wood, slightly more efficient ball game, so that was good for them. Uh, but, you know, no ads or drops really on the Dallas side. If you have Dinwiddie, I would strongly suggest trying to move him because he's floating around the edge of the top 90 right now, and that's probably about as good as it gets because the steals are not going to stay at 1.3 per game, and he's definitely not going to shoot 48% for the year. Try to move him. I don't know what you can get. You might not be able to get anything, but try. Meanwhile, meanwhile, on the Utah side, uh, Kelly Olenek, foul trouble again. Come on, Kelly, get your hand out of the freaking cookie jar. He's crushing himself with foul issues. Conley was solid, 11-8 with a steal and a three-pointer. Jared Vanderbilt, good again. Jordan Clarkson, good again. Larry Markinen slowed down a little bit in this ballgame, but overall, he's been fine. The big story for Utah, Colin Sexton, with Mike Conley around 31 minutes. That's the big thing. 19 points, three boards, three assists, two steals, and a three-pointer. I'd probably give him another game or two before I throw him into my Roto Games Cap format starting lineups just to like make sure this wasn't fluky. But based on what we're seeing and kind of the general ramp up, and this is another thing, by the way, um, I'm seeing a lot of panic on guys coming off of a season-ending injury. Colin Sexton, Clay Thompson, Jamal Murray are the three that I would point to. And maybe the problem is that Michael Porter Jr. has been able to just sort of drop right back into full minutes. But these guys coming off the full leg repair, they have no conditioning of any kind. So yeah, it's taking Clay and Jamal and Colin two plus weeks to start to look even a little bit like themselves. But like two or three games into the season, everybody's going, oh my God, panic, drop. Don't drop. Now, obviously, we didn't target Colin Sexton because he's a guy who does the categories that I generally tend to avoid, which is, like, mostly scoring stuff. Um, but if you ended up with him, if you drafted him, you certainly weren't dumping after a week and a half of a dude coming off of a massive leg injury last year. That would just be so uh, short-sighted, so rash a decision. So let's give him a little bit longer. Now we're starting to see it. He played more minutes when Conley was out. He played 24 in the last game with him in. He played 31 in this one. They paid him a bunch of money. We're just going to put him on the shelf for 20 minutes a game. Anyway, if he's out on the waiver wire, if somebody did drop him, add him, because he's basically there now. Uh, Memphis beat Portland on the road. And they got it with contributions from all across the board. Desmond Bain, 29-8-5, solidifying himself as really one of the better fantasy players. He's number 23 on a per-game basis, and he didn't even get any steals yet. A few. 
Uh, I got some should I drop Santi Aldama questions. And, you know, my, my response to that is I never fully believed in Santi. And I admit I was wrong on the Brandon Clark front. I thought he would get some of these minutes. But, like, the rookie stuff, it's always there. Low field goal percent, trouble at the free throw line. The rest of his fantasy line is actually pretty good. I think you have to just hang on and hope that some of that percentage stuff comes around a little bit here, at least before JJJ comes back, and then you can likely move on. So hold on Aldama. I get it, Roto. You don't have to start him night to night, but you should at least give him a chance here because he scores, he gets three easy blocks, shots, and rebounds. That's a pretty cool combo. Nurk inside the top 50. He looks good. Surprised. Took him like two games to get his legs underneath him, and then he's been a lot better. Anthony Simons, he's being tasked with doing a ton of crap with Dame out. Jeremy Grant also doing more. I mean, they need their, their guy back. It should not surprise anyone that Portland lost Damian Lillard and has been uh, not as good. <laughs> Hopefully he'll be back in the next week. I think that's all you really need to say about that. There's no one to pick up on the Portland side. Hart, you can keep using. He may have played through a concussion. I don't know if I like that. And then Grant, Simons, and Nurk. That's it. Four starters got more stuff when Dame went down. And the Lakers, behind the unbelievable game-saving shot of Matt Ryan, forced overtime and beat the Pelicans, 120-117. to 117. Anthony Davis, uh, you know, the story on this game is going to be, people are going to be talking about Matt Ryan's three-pointer, but the story was actually how bad LeBron James looked in this game, or it should be. 2010 and 8 and a couple of blocks uh, really does not encapsulate what LeBron was doing late in the fourth quarter. Like, he was, his decision-making was not LeBron-esque. And then we found out after the game that he's actually had the flu the last three days, like caught it in Denver, tried to play through it here. And you could see it. Uh, we all thought it was his sore foot during the game, but like he just couldn't get his wind. So dude probably shouldn't have been trying to blow past defenders when he was like getting ready to cough and yak on the floor. Uh, but somehow the Lakers prevailed. Lonnie Walker, huge ball game. You can keep streaming him. Um, Patrick Beverly, we've figured out is not streamable anymore. Lonnie has moved out in front because he's been reliably hitting three pointers and slashing. Troy Brown Jr. has been a really nice fit with a starting unit. 15 and 10 is actually a really good fantasy line. He's a guy that we've talked about on the pod in seasons past as a deep league option, and I think that's probably where he's at right now. Anthony Davis was great. He moved a lot better in this one. I don't know what he did to his back between ball games, but you didn't see all that wincing. Four blocks. Um, I mean, he was easily the Lakers' most important player in this game. He was a plus nine in a game they won by three. That I mean, sometimes it tells the story, sometimes it doesn't. And that one, it did. Because when AD was on the floor, the Pels couldn't get those easy ones right around the rim. When he went out, Zion just absolutely murdered everybody else on the Lakers, including LeBron. Just went right through everybody, except AD. Same story for Jonas Valanciunas. Folks are like, why didn't he play in this ballgame? It's because Anthony Davis was devouring him. JV was taking long twos because every time he got near the bucket, AD blocked him. So that's why the minutes were a little bit cockeyed. So then there's this whole, should I panic on Valanciunas? The answer is yes, you should. He had like three really big games to start the year because 
I don't remember if there was like a hack of Alan Shunas game or something. He got to the foul line like 20 times. I don't remember the exact number in the second game of the year. And that dramatically pushed him up the board because he had a good free throw percent on a huge volume. But that was the, the most obvious small sample size bump I think I've ever seen in my life. Now he's coming back down to earth. Larry Nance is the better defender between them. They don't need JV's offense as much as they have in seasons past. And this is without Brandon Ingram. This is why I said fade JV, because stuff like this is going to happen regularly. It's going to be very Ivica Zubats-esque in that he's going to have games where he's dominating, where he's just crushing the interior, and they'll leave him in. But if he's not bringing it on offense, they're going to go a different way now. But, like, you're not dropping him, and you're probably not going to be able to trade him after a quiet ball game. You need him to go big for a game or two, and then see if you can go get someone in that 50 range. That's where he's at right now. Uh, you're probably not picking up Larry Nance in standard leagues. I love Larry Nance. He's been one of our favorite players on this show uh, for half a decade. Um, but, like, he's not going to get this many minutes on a night-to-night basis. He's number 113 in 22 and a half minutes per ball game. That's his, that's his thing, though. Like, he puts up fantasy stats really quick. I think he makes sense if you're in certain builds as a big man who gets steals and assists. So that's cool. But, like, he's not a guy you can trot out every night in Roto Games Cap. He's a guy you probably look to use on a back-to-back. Jose Alvarado had a really good stretch. He was a plus 10, actually, in that game, and it was real. He got some of those goofball pokeaways. He hit some big three-pointers. Got him back into the game in the third quarter, but he's not an ad. Trey Murphy played 40 minutes. He wasn't as good in this one, but as long as he's playing 40 minutes, he you just keep streaming that. Najee Marshall, 38 minutes. Um, and a lot of that is the Herb effect. He's close. Ingram is close. I'm not streaming Marshall. I am streaming Murphy, and so not a whole lot changes for me on that Pelican side, other than, like, yeah, you can give Nance a look. 14-termers for sure. And then Valanchunas, he was a sell high the second he had that big ball game. Got some questions on Russell Westbrook. Uh, He played 25 minutes, and he was much better. He did have six turnovers, so that's got to be something he gets under control. But 13-7-9, he was solid. He's been much better with the bench unit. I still want nothing to do with him. He's still Russ. He still has all these things that are wrong with his fantasy game. But he didn't get to the free throw line, which is technically a good thing for him. (laughs) Uh, And he shot 6 for 10, which isn't going to happen most games either. Uh, Like, it's just, no. The the downside is way too huge with him. So just leave it be. And if you want, there's, I can't believe I'm saying this. This There's actually kind of a buy low opportunity on LeBron because he's like a third rounder right now. And you know that ain't sticking. Tired, tired LeBron shooting 44% from the field right now is a, a pretty good size negative on his fantasy campaign. He's missing his three-pointers. He's missing his shots at the rim. A lot of that stuff is going to come around for him, and the other stuff is fine. Plus, his teammates aren't making anything. If his teammates start making shots and you saw a few of them go in, his assists are going to climb a little. This is a buy-low opportunity on Braun. Because uh, he ain't going to shoot 44% for the year. Um, he's probably not going to be at 1.73s for the year. There's a lot of stuff that's on the way up. Get it before it goes. And that's Big Wednesday, and that's your pod. That's as much time as I've got here. i got to go back to dealing with a sick kid. Uh, good luck on this, uh, you know, what? I we all get this, like, <sighs> moment. Um, that's the beauty of the Big Wednesday followed by the high-profile Thursday is that it's the it's the sigh of relief. Two games tonight. 
Easy peasy. We're not even going to do a look ahead. We'll do it on Twitter. Plus, I want to talk about Christoph Porzingis for like a whole day. Because right now, remember, he and Kevin Durant were our sort of big early positions. And KD's number three and Kristaps is number 16. So, huh, if you guys want to know my mood on a given week, it's how is KD doing? How is Porzingis doing? How is Keldon Johnson doing? And how is Big Al doing? Oh, boo. Those are the sort of the big four. Three for four so far. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you guys over on the Twitter. I am at Dan Bespris over there. Again, it's D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hey, thanks again to you folks who keep flipping uh, new reviews on the podcast. I would love it if you can continue to do so. That helps push us up the iTunes board. Uh, there's a couple every day, and uh, I love you for it. So blow you all a kiss. Fantasy NBA Today in the books. This is, what in season? Is this in season episode number 14? Is that right? That can't be right. I've lost track already. Let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. In-season episode number 13. Okay. I'm not going to be able to count them later. You guys are going to have to keep track because it isn't like I can't count by fives. It's not a five at the end of the week. There was a four. Well, I don't know. Does that, that first Tuesday, does that count or are we start on Wednesday? Ah, damn it. You guys tell me. I don't know. Okay. Until tomorrow. Good night. Uh, good day. Good night. What the hell time is it? I've lost it. Goodbye. <laughs>